1: Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show.
2: Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us, James Blend producing, Dave King engineering in the Portland area, Pedro Bartes producing and engineering in Seattle. Today looking forward to a conversation with Dr. Matthew Dodds, he's associate pastor At um, Calvary Chapel Hillsboro and executive director of Blessers of Israel, we're going to talk about a biblical perspective on the growing conflict in Israel. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. We'll also bring you the latest in the escalating conflict and what's happening with House Republicans as they've named Steve Scalise for speaker in a second ballot vote. Well, let's start there. House Majority Leader Scalise narrowly defeated House Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan on Wednesday In a secret ballot speaker nomination vote, that's according to early reports. Galees, who currently serves as House Majority Leader, was nominated to succeed Representative Kevin McCarthy by 113 to 99, the numbers, to secure the gavel. He has to win support from a majority of the House of Representatives or 217 members. Well, the closed-door speaker nomination comes a little more than one week after eight House Republicans banded with all of the Democrats to remove McCarthy from his post. It's still far from clear whether Republicans will unite behind Scalise in a floor vote, with mounting pressure to respond to the terrorist group Hamas cross-border assault on Israel. After all, McCarthy won his initial speaker nomination over Representative Andy Biggs out of Arizona back in January by 188-31 to vote margin before losing the gavel a mere 9 months later. Well, the house is set to reconvene this afternoon, this evening. We'll see what happens if there are any reports on the outcome. Representative Ken Buck, uh, he told the Huffington Post on Wednesday ahead of the uh, second ballot vote that he's not going he will not support either Jordan or Scalise for speaker because both candidates dodged his question about who won the presidential election in 2020. <sighs> If we don't have the moral clarity to decide whether President Biden won or not, we don't have the moral clarity to rule this country, period, Buck said. That gives you a glimpse into the challenge ahead. Well, Wednesday's meeting comes on the heels of a closed-door candidate forum on Tuesday evening in the Longworth House building on Capitol Hill, where the two declared candidates, House Majority Leader Steve Scalise and House Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan, they answered questions from members about their receptive Uh, respective candidates, Um, cell phones were prohibited from the meetings to prevent members from leaking to reporters. Apparently, all the questions were answered except that one. Well, Wednesday's Scalise nomination followed a failed effort spearheaded by Representative Chip Roy to require a speaker candidate to win 217 votes in conference rather than a simple majority of the House GOP conference before they bring a speaker vote to the floor, largely to avoid a repeat of McCarthy's drawn out 15 ballot fight for the gavel. But a majority of House Republicans supported a motion to table that proposal in Wednesday's meeting. Well, what happens next is anybody's guess. In um, interviews this evening, House Republicans remained bitterly divided about. Who has uh, what it takes to lead the now legislatively paralyzed GOP just before a presidential election? At least one entertained the possibility Tuesday evening that a dark horse candidate could soon emerge out of the woodwork. (sighs) Says John Rutherford, he's a Republican out of Florida. I think we may not have heard from the next speaker yet. Well, that possibility has some members in a panic about what would uh, come next. It uh, it takes guts to do what they did. Representative Pat Fallon out of Texas told National Review of Jordan and Scalise's decision to run for speaker. But even he fully admits that it remains unclear where most of the eight Republicans who supported McCarthy's ouster stand with respect to both candidates. I don't know where they particularly are, he went on to say. And it continues. Well, House Republicans are demanding information about former special envoy for Iran, Uh, Robert Malley and members of his negotiating team who may have had compromising ties to the Iranian regime. And in light of developments in the Middle East over the last five days, it raises some serious questions. House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer and Representative Glenn Grothman who chairs the Subcommittee on National Security, the Border and Foreign Affairs, wrote a letter to Secretary of State Anthony Blinken on Wednesday, giving the State Department until the 25th of this month to turn over information related to Malley and his team. The committee, and I'm quoting the, the letter, the Committee on Oversight and Accountability is investigating the Biden administration's efforts to conceal details about its ongoing secret nuclear negotiations with the Islamic Republic of Iran from Congress, ignoring statutory obligations for congressional oversight. Well, the administration's lack of transparency is even more troubling in light of the press reports about Iran's direct role in this weekend's horrific attack on Israel by Hamas and additional revelations that former special envoy from Iran, Robert Malley, and his members of his negotiating team, may have had compromising ties to the Iranian regime, the lawmakers added. Well, the attack, as you well know now, came weeks after the Biden administration unfroze $6 billion in Iranian funds that were held in Qatari Bank in exchange for the release of five American prisoners from Iranian custody. Many Republicans are calling on the administration to freeze those funds or reissue them to Israel. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan told reporters... Excuse me. We have not yet had one dollar of that six billion dollars spent, and I will leave it at that. Well, critics, meanwhile, they've pointed out that the funds, which the administration claims uh, can only be used for humanitarian purposes, nevertheless free up the the regime to spend more spreading terror in the Middle East. Well, the letter from Comer and Grotham, they suggest the U.S. has made concessions to Iran that potentially violated the Iranian Nuclear Review Act. All while Mali, the Biden administration's top negotiator with Iran, has been under investigation for alleged mishandling of classified material. The letter cites Malley's history of appeasing United States adversaries, including meeting with the terrorist group Hamas. Comer and Grothman, they note that the investigation is so serious that he was suspended from his position without pay and that the investigation was initially hidden from Congress and other State Department officials. Well, the pair go on to uh, cite recent media reports that suggest another member of that um, uh, Iran negotiating team was in close contact with the Iranian regime for years and may have violated uh, the law as well. We'll continue to follow that story. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm seeing overhead images of uh, the conflict in uh, Israel and Gaza. And, um, anyway, it's, uh, Very difficult to watch. We're going to talk with Associate Pastor Matthew Dodds. Dr. Dodds is Executive Director of Blessers of Israel. Uh, And we're going to talk about that glowing, uh, growing conflict uh, from a biblical perspective uh, to help us better understand how we as followers of Christ should interpret these events. We're not talking necessarily about prophetic events, but how in the spirit and nature of Christ we are to uh, understand and respond to these things, how we should pray and so on. That's coming up. In the five o'clock hour, I did note a uh, an article written by Lanny Davis. He, uh, as you might recall, was the only Democrat to serve in the Bush um, George W. Bush uh, administration. He served on a commission; He was the only Democrat um, in that. But anyway, he's written a an article called "The Four Indisputable Facts About Hamas' Terrorist War Against Israel," and he points out fact one: Hamas openly declares it hates Jews. It is. An openly bigoted anti-Semitic organization, its public charter, which it calls its covenant states, our struggle against the Jews is very great and very serious. The covenant actually endorses the notorious fraudulent anti-Semitic rant used in part by Hitler to justify the Holocaust, the protocols of the elders of Zion. Fact two, Hamas invasion is not about supporting an independent Palestinian state. Hamas denies Israel's right to exist. It rejects a two-state solution. The head of its uh, political bureau, Khalid Mashal, he stated this plainly at a 2012 rally in Gaza. Palestine is ours from the river to the sea and from the south to the north. There will be no concession on any inch of land. So the two-state solution Is not really the goal there for 19 years, between 1948 to 1967, Arab countries controlled East Jerusalem and all the land of the West Bank, all the way to the Jordan River. They could have established a Palestinian nation with Israel left with a fraction of the territory compared to today's Israel. So... Why didn't they? It's a question I'll leave you to ponder. In 2000, at Camp David, Israel's Prime Minister Ehud Barak, he offered to create a Palestinian state in all of Gaza and 97% of the West Bank. The answer was no. In 2008, Prime Minister Ehud Omert, he offered to withdraw from almost the entire West Bank and to partition Jerusalem on a demographic basis. In addition to all of Gaza still being without Israeli soldiers or civilians, still the answer was no. Well, fact three, Hamas doesn't care about an independent Democrat, uh, Democratic Gaza for the well-being or social justice of Gazans. Since Gaza threw out the official government of the Palestinian Authority it has not invested in food, education or jobs, Instead, it has used millions of dollars from Iran to build bombs and rockets to be aimed at Israeli civilians, and has lined its own pocket with 15 percent of substantial funds from gutter aimed at the poor. Beyond dispute, the Hamas, that Hamas has established a corrupt terrorist dictatorship, with some leaders living in luxury abroad. In in summary, of um, of uh, tw- uh, in the summer rather of 2023, Gazans defied their overlords. They held rallies throughout the area. Some chanted, where is the electricity? Where is the gas? And burned Hamas flags. Nor is Hamas reacting to Israelis' occupation of Gaza. In 2005, Israel withdrew its citizens, about 8,000, and soldiers from Gaza, And from four settlements in the West Bank in 2007, Hamas ousted the Palestinian Authority and took over dictatorial control of Gaza. But it opposed the authorities negotiations to establish an independent Palestinian state and does so to this day. And fact four, Hamas is and continues to be a terrorist organization which meets the universal definition as dedicated to int- intentionally murdering civilians from polit- for political purposes. Hamas doesn't deny that. It brags about it. Just this last weekend, Hamas terrorists intentionally killed 260 young civilians attending a music festival in the desert near Gaza during the first mo- moments of its uh, murderous invasion. It is not the same thing when Israel is forced to respond to defend itself from rockets aimed at civilians and tragically and unintentionally innocent Gazan civilians are killed. They have waited to allow them to move from areas where Hamas has strategically located itself, often because Hamas chooses to launch its rockets intentionally aimed at civilians from schools and hospitals which is a double war crime, those who make the fights a false equivalence between intentional murder and self-defense with tragic and unintended deaths of innocence ignore that fact. I believe, and again, Lanny Davis uh, writing, I believe in justice for Palestinians, but I also now remember the famous line of Tevye in uh, Fiddler on the Roof when he argued with himself by saying, on the one hand, and then countering with, but on the other hand, however, on one hand, um uh, one issue on which he can never compromise, he says there is no other hand, and perhaps that's where things stand today. Again, quoting Lanny Davis as he sees it from his perch here in the U.S., Well, the head of a prominent Iranian-backed militia in Iraq threatened to attack U.S. military bases should America intervene in the ongoing war between Hamas and Israel, or Iran, Hamas, and Israel, just hours after the aircraft carrier USS Gerald Ford arrived in the eastern Mediterranean on Tuesday to deter Israel's hostile neighbors from widening the conflict. Our missiles, drones and special forces are ready to direct qualitative strikes at the American enemy in its bases and disrupt its interests if it intervenes in this battle. That's a quote from the head of the Hezbollah militia in a statement obtained by the Associated Press. He also threatened to launch missiles at Israeli targets and called on fellow Iraqis to collect donations to support Hamas terrorists who just days ago massacred nearly a thousand Israeli civilians and brutalized thousands more, including women, children, and the elderly. Well, the U.S. currently has 2,500 troops stationed in Iraq and an additional 900 in neighboring Syria who have been tasked with advising and assisting local forces in their effort to contain the Islamic State. Well, the head of Badr Organization, an Iranian-aligned Iraqi political and military group, made similar threats earlier this week. If they intervene, referring to the United States, we would intervene. We will consider all American targets legitimate. That's an Iraqi politician who leads the Badr organization. The saber rattling from Iranian-backed extremist groups in the region came as the U.S. Central Command announced that the USS Gerald R. Ford has reached the eastern Mediterranean alongside a strike force complete with at least five destroyers and enough aircraft to deter any actor seeking to escalate the situation or widen the war. Meanwhile, in Yemen, the leader of the Houthi movement warned that this uh, that his fighters rather would have been locked in a bloody war against Saudi-led forces since 2005, would respond with missiles and rockets to any U.S. intervention in the region, joining the other powers of what he referred to as the axis of resistance, which includes Iran-backed Shiite groups in Iraq and Hezbollah in Lebanon, which has already entered the war. Well, just days after Hamas poured across the uh, Gaza Israel border. On Saturday, Hezbollah in southern Lebanon, they began firing rockets into northern Israel, widening the conflict into a multi-front war. Then on Tuesday, an Iranian-backed militia near Golan Heights began launching rockets into Israel from Syria, prompting return fire from the Israeli Defense Forces. The new fronts threatened to draw Israeli men and material away from Gaza, where the bulk of the fighting has taken place since Saturday's invasion. And then Emmy Griffin wrote an interesting piece on uh, Hamas, asking the question, "What is Hamas?" She writes that Hamas is an Iranian-backed jihadi terror group based in the Gaza Strip. Its primary instigator of unrest in the Middle East. Iran also explicitly blacks backs rather the anti-Semitic stance that Israel and the Jews who inhabit um, inhabit it should be wiped off the map. It is made up of some Palestinians, the Arab people who also claim Israel as their ancestral land. It's important to note here that the Jews have inhabited the land of Israel for millennia, well before Islamic Arabs like the Palestinians existed in the region. It's also important to distinguish that Hamas does not represent all Palestinians. Hamas treats its people like human shields and non-Hamas Palestinians live in squalid Conditions. Hamas has occupied the Gaza Strip and governed over its people since 2007 and apparently had ample funds and resources to improve the lives of its people. Instead, it is committed to funding terrorism and the mass murder of Israeli people. Israel has a high tech border wall, including fence, radar, sensors, and the famed Iron Dorm that protects it from missile strikes. Israel had relied heavily on these as the first line of defense against any enemy action. However, on Saturday, October 7th, the wall was breached with the help of a massive cyber attack on the wall systems. The Israeli military was entirely unprepared to spring into action and the bases closest to the invasion point, that strike point, uh, were short staffed due to some of the troops being moved to the West Bank to help protect Israel from violence that had been happening there in recent days. Hamas also jammed Israel's communications. It was a sophisticated attack. Israel did not see the attack coming. It was a massive intelligence failure, and the question, how could this invasion happen, remains unanswered. It starts with the West, Israel included, underestimating the enemy. They're highly motivated to eradicate all of those, um, uh, to oppose all who oppose them. The Quran and Hadith command jihadists to strike terror into the hearts of their enemies, to wage war ferociously and mercilessly, and they are faithful to that edict. Well, the special, the specific attack on Saturday was chosen particularly because of the day and time. We'll tell you more about that when we return from the break. Again, coming up in our second hour, Dr. Matthew Dodds, he is the associate pastor at uh, Calvary Chapel Hillsboro and executive director of Blessers of Israel.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. I've been quoting from uh, Emmy Griffin on Some things we should never do, and one, she writes, is we should never underestimate Islamic uh, terrorists. She says the specific attack on Saturday was chosen particularly because it was the Sabbath and because it marked the 50th anniversary of the beginning of the Yom Kippur War. The uh, Hamas jihadists want to uh, strike terror in the hearts of their enemies as they are instructed. Well, Hamas has also been planning this attack for over a year, we're told. Israel had been lulled into a false sense of security. The um, uh, Hamas um, built mock Israeli villages to practice raids on. They didn't tell certain uh, leaders um, of their attack plans for fear that Israeli intelligence might get wind of it. They also didn't tell the soldiers what they were training for—it was a master stroke—and the results were horrors and atrocities carried out on civilian targets that came as a complete surprise. Well, unfortunately, they've not only—it's uh, uh, not only a threat in the region. Israel's northern border, shared with Lebanon, is also um, harboring a terrorist group, Hezbollah. That group has targeted the U.S. in the past and has the same goals as Hamas. As uh, numerous and vicious as Hamas is, Hezbollah is larger and worse. The hope and prayer is this doesn't um, they don't enter the fray in this ongoing conflict. Once again, coming up uh, in the top of the hour at five o'clock, we'll talk with a pastor, uh, Dr. Matthew Dodd. He's also executive director of Blessers of Israel to talk about this conflict in light of what the scriptures have to say. So that's that's coming up. I did also note Ben Shapiro. Uh, wrote a piece, I am a Jew, and I won't read all of it, but he says, From Pharaoh to Haman, from Hitler to Hamas, um, the promise of the state of Israel never again is what the Jews stand by. Uh, the Jews will not stand by and be murdered. They will not leave their biblical homeland. They will not surrender. They will be strong and courageous, as Jos- as Joshua said 3,000 years ago. Israel is Indispensable. Its presence is a miracle. Its strength, a gift. Thank God for the state of Israel, he writes. There are those who say that anti Zionism is not anti Semitism. Tell that to the dead women and children in uh, Storet. Uh, tell that to Hamas, who proclaim in their charter Israel will exist and will continue exi- to exist until Islam will obliterate it, just as it obliterated others before it. This was the worst week for Jews since the Holocaust. He goes on to write. He says a great deal more than that, but that's just a shorter version of what he had to say. Again, we'll talk about this later in the five o'clock hour. Well, the White House press secretary, Corrine Jean-Pierre, turned up the heat on members of the far left squad during Tuesday's press briefing. Blasting their comments on the war between Israel and Hamas as wrong, repugnant and disgraceful. I've seen some of those statements this weekend and we're going to continue to be very clear. We believe they're wrong. We believe they're repugnant and we believe they're disgraceful. She said when asked for the administration's reaction to comments made by a Representative Ilhan Omar, Representative Rashida Tlaib and Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Cory Bush. The first plane carrying U.S. armaments landed in Israel sometime Tuesday evening. The Israel Defense Forces said the Biden administration began delivering munitions to Israel this week as the country wages war with Hamas terrorist fighters. The armaments are designed to facilitate significant military operations and increase preparedness for other scenarios, the IDF said in a statement. We are grateful for the U.S. backing and assistance of the IDF and to the state of Israel in general during this challenging period. Our common enemies know that the cooperation between our militaries is stronger than ever and is a key part of ensuring regional security and stability, end quote. Well, the weapons arrived at... um, Navatim Air Force Base or Air Base in southern Israel. The IDF did not disclose what types of weapons or military equipment is it received. On Monday, U.S. Army Secretary Christine Wormuth said uh, Congress would need to pass more funding for weapons and military aid to be delivered to both Israel and Ukraine, which has received billions in military assistance amid its war with Russia. The intent is to lean forward in support of Israel, Wormuth said, but in a particular um, Uh, But in particular, with munitions and the ability to support Israel and Ukraine simultaneously, additional funding is needed to increase our capacity to expand production and then also pay for the munitions themselves. Many wondering how that leaves our preparedness in the event that we are drawn into some kind of military action. A new report by Republicans on the House Homeland Security Committee is blaming DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas for what it says are the devastating human costs of the migrant crisis at the southern border. Well, these devastating human costs fall squarely on Mayorkas' shoulders, and no amount of excuse-making, blame-shifting, or political prevaricating can change that fact, the report says. The latest report is the third of its kind from the um, Committee to Detail Mayorkas' handling of the crisis. It comes amid blistering criticism from Republicans, including calls by some for his impeachment for the implement- implementation of policies which they say have fueled the border crisis, including reduced interior enforcement and expanded catch and release. It follows a committee hearing in September where the members uh, heard about the Human Efforts Effects of the crisis, including child trafficking, overwhelmed Border Patrol agents and the ongoing effects of fentanyl trafficking in from Mexico, fentanyl, which is responsible for tens of thousands of deaths each year, is primarily trafficked across the southern border after being produced in Mexico using Chinese precursors. The report notes a dramatic increase in seizures at the border, including between ports of entry, and warns it is possible that more is getting past overwhelmed agents. As cartels push record numbers of illegal aliens across the border, stretching Border Patrol resources to and often past the breaking point, They have increased their ability to push drugs like fentanyl across as well, the report says. The administration says it has been cracking down on fentanyl smuggling and that it is showing results. Officials have pointed to two operations, Operation Blue Lotus and Four Horsemen, which have stopped nearly 10,000 pounds in two months. A spokesperson said in response to the report that it has arrested more criminals for fentanyl-related crimes in two years than in the previous Five fiscal years. Of course, the amount has uh, increased dramatically as well. A reverend who previously led protests against police organized a massive pro law enforcement multi city rally over the weekend and uh, spoke to Fox Digital about why the um, demonization of police nationwide must end in order to secure better outcomes for everyone, regardless of race. Law enforcement officers have been rightly or wrongly demonized and demoralized and really disconnected from their communities over the last three or four years in a way that has uh, determined and a detrimental effect on crime and violence on law enforcement as a profession and by extension on communities. Reverend Markle Hutchins, um, the organizer of the National Faith and Blue Weekend, told Fox News Digital this week. Over the weekend, he flew to several cities across the country engaging with law enforcement officials in coordination with thousands of events nationwide for Faith and Blue weekend, highlighting the need for more police officers, stronger communication between police and communities and an end to the stigmatization of law enforcement as cities across the uh, the country grapple with. Uh, crippling police shortages in the wake of the defund movement, including Washington, D.C., where crime is surging and the police force is short 400 officers. Hutchins said that the people he spoke with over the weekend resoundingly opposed police defunding. Too little, too late. Only time will tell. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. is aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back! Coming up in our next hour, Associate Pastor Dr. Matthew Dodds. He's also Executive Director of Blessers of Israel. We'll talking about the the conflict that's growing there and uh, what the Scriptures can teach us about how to view those events. That's coming up in the five o'clock hour. Well, the Biden administration issued regulations impacting air conditioners and refrigerators in an effort to curb greenhouse gas emissions, but experts warn the rules will drive consumer prices higher. Well, as part of the administration's efforts to combat climate damaging. Hydrofluorocarbons, the Environmental Protection Agency, finalized a rule to accelerate an economy-wide transition to more advanced refrigeration and cooling technologies that don't use HFCs and proposed a second rule to manage HFCs in existing products. Well, HFCs are chemicals common in household appliances, but environmentalists say they contribute to global warming. EPA Administrator Michael Regan Said in a statement after unveiling the regulations late last week, this final rule supports our transition away from hydrofluorocarbons and positions our nation to be competitive on the global stage, while the proposed emissions reduction and reclamation program will help ensure we achieve our national HFC phase down. However, energy experts warn that the EPA's regulations targeting these um, fluorocarbons will ultimately drive prices higher for new products and repairs while harming consumers. This is likely to raise the costs and may raise it substantially of our next new air conditioning system. Ben Lieberman, a senior fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute said in an interview. Well, one of the issues is that the new refrigerators, the new eco-friendly refrigerants are classified as flammable. So there are all kinds of precautions that have to be taken when you have an air conditioner system with flammable refrigerants. This is putting the uh, climate agenda above the best interest and protection of consumers, he goes on to say. He continues, anybody who wants the eco-friendly version is free to buy it regardless. The only thing that these regulations do is make the more expensive but supposedly environmentally friendly option the only option. And that could only be bad news for prices, especially when you're restricting competition in this manner. End quote. Well, the actions Friday, which are set to go into effect in early 2025, came years after Congress passed and former President Donald Trump signed Bipartisan American Innovation and Manufacturing Act or AIM in December of 2020 as part of a sweeping omnibus package. The legislation authorized the EPA to implement a 15 year phase down of HFCs and was first introduced by Senator John Kennedy a uh, Republican out of uh, Louisiana in 2019. Additionally, in September of last year, Democrats and more than a dozen Republicans voted in favor of ratifying, uh, ratifying the Kigali Amendment, a global agreement first introduced in 1987 under the United Nations Montreal Protocol, which requires signers to reduce usage of HFCs by 85% by 2033. The provision has been ratified by one hundred and thirty eight international parties, including the European Union. But there are some noted absences, those who uh, pollute the most. Former Bush 43 chief speechwriter Mark Thiessen, he reacted to President Biden's response to the war in Israel, saying, I can't believe we waited two days for that. He gave the entire statement and didn't mention Iran once, not once. Let's be clear. Hamas is a wholly owned subsidiary of the Iranian regime. Iran arms them. Iran funds them, trains them. They could not carry out an attack like this without the arms, training and support of the Iranian regime putting aside any question of the coordination of this specific attack. Well, he goes on to say this is an Iranian attack that has resulted now in the death of 14 Americans and 20 are missing. When Donald Trump was president, he drew a red line with Iran. He said, if you touch the hair of a single hair on the head of an American citizen, we will respond militarily and we do not draw any distinction between you and your terrorist proxies. And when Iran crossed that red line, when one of their militias in Iraq killed an American citizen and set fire to our embassy, he killed Kassan Soleimani and he warned the Iranian regime, if you retaliate, the next strike will be in Iran and that back and they back down because that's what bullies do when they are confronted. Joe Biden, Thiessen, went on to say, can't even mention the ultimate perpetrator of the attack that's now killed 14 Americans. That was over one dead American, 14 dead Americans at the hands of a terrorist group that is conce- completely controlled and operated by the Iranian regime. Iran needs to pay a price for this or they're going to be emboldened and are going to do more. And he needs to put a cost on the Iranians regime for what they've done. Well, American sports legend Mary Lou Retton, who captured the attention of the nation when she won the all around American gymnastics competition way back in 1984, Summer Olympics, has been hospitalized, according to a statement from her daughter. Rettin is fighting for her life as she battles pneumonia in an intensive care unit, McKenna Lane Kelly said this week. Kelly's Instagram post also noted that Rettin is not able to breathe on her own. Kelly's statement did not provide more specific information on her mother's condition, but she did say that the the pneumonia was a very rare form. The West Virginia Natives' win of the 1984 Olympic Games in Los Angeles marked the first time in history an American woman earned the all-around gold medal or any individual Olympic medal in gymnastics. For 20 years, Retton held the distinction of being the only American woman to win the all-around title. In 2004, Count Carly Patterson became the second woman from the U.S. to accomplish that feat. A California school board president said he and his family have received death threats from activists after the district voted on a resolution that forbids the display of banners other than American or California state flags. Uh, trustees representing the Sunall Glen School Unified School District in Eastern Bay, uh, which serves 270,000 K-8 through students, voted September 12th on new rules, which critics claim was a Backdoor attempt to remove the pride flag and other progressive symbols from school grounds. Sonal Glen School Board President Ryan Jurgensen was one of the members who voted to restrict the display of non-government flags. We feel like the board and the administration should focus on education and helping the school to be inclusive and welcoming to all students that go to the school. But that's not good enough. So instead of litigating particular flags and political issues, we decided to limit what the district would fly to the U.S. flag and the California flag, as the U.S. flag is the most inclusive flag on the planet, end quote. Jurgensen, who has four children attending the school district, said he was a vested, had a vested interest uh, in the community and only pushed the measure to turn the school's focus away from partisan politics and toward education, Sounds like a great idea. However, Jurgensen said the vote led people from inside and outside the small community to behave as activists, and he and his family's lives are now in danger. An automated veterans affairs system meant to help accelerate claims decisions actually helped contribute to inaccurate ratings on 27 percent of high blood pressure claims. A VA office of the Inspector General report published last week found that more than a quarter of the 60 reviewed high blood pressure claims that were handled by the automated benefits delivery system resulted in wrongful claims decisions for veterans, according to a report from Military.com. The system was introduced in December of 21, so it hasn't been around that long, ahead of what the VA believed was going to be a flood of disability applications as a result of the... uh, PACT Act with uh, Vietnam-era veterans filing high blood pressure claims under the act after the exposure to Agent Orange uh, and exposure linked to hypertension. The automated system was designed to pull blood pressure readings and other high blood pressure data from VA treatment recons and create a summary that is reviewed by the uh, VA staff who make the final decision on the claim. But incomplete data compiled by the system led to several incorrect decisions the IG of, IG's office has found. Uh, found. Failure to improve for oversight increases the risk that eligible veterans will not receive the benefits to which they are entitled. We're going to take a break for news at the top of the hour. And uh, when we return a conversation with Dr. Matthew Dodds, he's associate pastor of Calvary Chapel Hillsboro and executive director of Blessers of Israel. We'll talk about the growing conflicts in the Middle East, the conflict between Hamas and Israel and what the Bible says about how we as followers of Jesus should interpret these events and respond. We'll be back.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Here are some of the headlines regarding what's happening in the Middle East, in Israel, to be more precise. Day five Gaza is in darkness. Jerusalem is a ghost town. Israel preps ground invasion. SEAL team for hostage rescues. Hostages may be hidden in secret tunnels or buried alive. Netanyahu forms emergency government for war. Prime target, secretive Hamas commander. Turkey's Erdogan calls Israeli response a massacre. Rockets fired from Syria. Risks spill into Egypt. Early intel shows Iranian leaders surprised by attack. A diplomat, August meets, uh, meet shows Tehran clear link. How terrorists beheaded kids and burned families alive. BLM celebrates. Cheers, Hamas. Campuses plot day of resistance. That's what the headlines say about the events that have, that unfolded five days ago and continue. Uh, we know that this um, could become a protracted ground war and we anticipate Israel will move into Gaza very uh, quickly as followers of Jesus. It's important for us to try to interpret events that are happening in real time, in our time through a biblical lens. And so I have invited Dr. Matthew Dodd, who is associate pastor of a Calvary Chapel Hillsboro and executive director of Blessers of Israel to join us to talk about this glowing, this growing conflict and the war in Israel. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: It's a blessing to be with you, Georgine. Thank you so much for the invitation. I wish it were under better circumstances, though.
2: I I do as well. I remember when I first heard this was back on day one. What was happening? I I, I was stunned. I was. Um, I found myself unable to move. I was just overwhelmed with grief for what was happening to the Israelis and what I knew would happen following uh, this as the Israelis respond to what Hamas has perpetrated and the uh, Palestinians would suffer as a consequence. Let me just ask you to to share your thoughts on what we're witnessing before asking you some specific questions about uh, how we might understand these events.
3: Well, first, like you... Um... I just got done watching a a high school football game. One of the members of our church had some sons playing at the football game. And I came home, couldn't sleep. And so, like I always do, I read, and I wanted to stay up to date with what's going on in the news. And suddenly, around 1130, midnight, the headlines just begin to unfold. And you begin to realize real quickly, this is serious, what's happening here. And like you, I was just grieved. In fact, in many ways, it kind of brought me back to how I felt in 9-11. You know just that that sense of Lord, what is going on here? and then uh, it just seemed like one headline after the next was giving an update the The casualties were increasing uh the the, the uh the horrific nature of what was done uh, it just deeply grieved my soul, and I know in many ways it's unsettled Christians because we're wondering how are we supposed to respond to this in light of what Jesus spoke of in matthew twenty four and and his second coming, and so there are a lot of questions. I think many Christians are are, are very concerned and, and are unsettled. They don't know where to stand, and I think there's confusion in the church regarding the church's relationship with Israel as well. And and so it's really important for us to go back to the Word and see what it has to say, so we can discern and understand the signs of the time.
2: Yes. What was the significance of the, the strike on the Sabbath and on the 50th anniversary of the beginning of the Yom Kippur War? Do you think there was significance and was it a deliberate message being sent on that uh, date at that time uh, when Hamas entered into Israel in such a violent way?
3: Uh, I believe so. It was a message that we want to throw off the shackles that have constrained the Palestinians in Gaza and in the West Bank. Uh, though the Israelites Israelites call it Judea and Samaria. We want to throw that off. And so going back to the Yom Kippur War, 50-year anniversary, and also it's a Sabbath and and a celebration. Uh, So here you have all of these events happening. Israel, in many ways, I think was it appears at a place where it looked peaceful. In fact, it was really interesting, Georgine. Uh, with Blessers of Israel, I'm continually updating the newsfeed. And I remember Friday, I'll never forget Friday, I'm updating uh, our newsfeed from outside sources. And I was thinking to myself, it's odd, this is really kind of a quiet day in Israel. And mm. then later that night, the news began to unfold in regards to what was happening, the atrocities there in Israel. And so, yes, I think there was a clear, clear message. And the message has always been clear from the Palestinians and from the Arabs. We want Israel removed. They don't want a two-state solution. They only want a one-state solution, and that is a Middle East that no longer has Israel. Uh, Their famous chant is, From the river to the sea, Palestine must be free.
2: Hmm. Now, Hamas is a proxy organization for Iran. It's a patron. Um, My understanding is 93% of the funding comes from Iran for both Hamas and Hezbollah. Uh, What role do you think Iran is playing in this uh, past and future conflict with Israel?
3: Well, I think they play a prominent role, and now I know that they are coming out and denying that. They're backtracking, but it is interesting that the Wall Street Journal and mm-hmm. also the Washington Post both came out with reports stating that the fingerprint of Iran was all over this. In fact, the initial reports were stating that they greenlit, lit the whole thing. They had met, the leadership had met, Hezbollah, Hamas, with Iranian leadership just, just uh, days before. And so there is, I think, very clear signs that Iran is involved. In fact, some of the munitions that were discovered uh, have Iran's fingerprint on them as well. Uh, Again, uh, they are the largest state funder of terrorism. And, And unfortunately, what we have going on right now, which is a direct result of our current uh, administration is there's been a loosening of funds the sanctions have been removed so now Iran is making more money uh via oil uh there was that prisoner exchange and even though Iran gave assurances that the money was not going to be used for nefarious purposes hey if you free up 6 billion dollars in one area it can be used for whatever purpose you want
2: mm. <laughs> Lebanon, Syria, um, expanding into to Egypt. These are all concerns. Uh, Lebanon and Syria both sent rockets near the Golan Heights from from Syria and uh, and other places, prompting return fire from the Israeli defense forces. Uh, we are hearing reports that this risks escalating and expanding, spilling into uh, into Egypt. Uh, I know we don't know what's going to happen next, but how likely do you think it is that this will, in fact, expand into a much broader conflict that will involve other nations and um, Israel at different fronts from the north, from the south, and, and so on?
3: I believe this is going to require a lot of wisdom. I know that the emotions are very high right now, and it's very easy, I think, to make a miscalculated judgment and maneuver. That could further escalate things mm-hmm. and so I think the the Israeli government is faced with this tension on the one hand, uh, those who are suffering the loss of loved ones or still have uh, loved ones that are being held hostage with a threat that they 'll be executed and their execution posted on the internet for all to see there 's that sense of we need to go ahead and and make sure this never happens again, but at the same time. There needs to be, I think, a precision in how things are done. Though, in all honesty, Israel's responding to what's coming at them. It's not that they initiated this. They're responding to this. And as Benjamin Netanyahu rightly said, we are going to literally change the fabric, the look, of the Middle East. And so I think this could escalate. You have the United States. They brought in the second carrier group. Uh, Their first plane landed with munitions yesterday to further reinforce Israel. So I believe this could spiral out of control quickly.
2: In fact, Hezbollah has warned the U.S. not to intervene in the ongoing war between Hamas and Israel just after that uh, carrier group arrived um, uh, in the eastern Mediterranean, threatening missiles, drones, special forces will strike the U.S. interests there and abroad. Threatening to launch missiles at Israeli targets, and so on we 've also heard this from other groups turkey's president Erdogan, he raised concerns about the u s moving a, a strike group closer to Israel following the attacks, and Yemen has weighed in as as well so you're absolutely right. the potential for this to escalate um, certainly exists if there's not the precision that you uh, described. One of the things I wanted to ask you about is Hamas. it is the elected government in uh, in the Palestinian. Uh, territories. Um, But it seems to me they don't seem to represent the interests of the Palestinian people. There will be innocents there who suffer. I saw an image on Facebook today where you saw Jesus washing the feet of an Israeli. And then in the next uh, image, Jesus was washing the feet of the Palestinians. Uh, There's great concern for those who are who didn't initiate this conflict, who don't support this conflict, but they will suffer as a consequence. Can you talk a little bit about Hamas and its uh, Oversight—it's caretaking, if you will, over the Palestinian people who will now suffer because of this action.
3: Well, let me be clear: they're a terrorist organization, and and even though, as you mentioned a moment ago, voted into power, uh, how valid was that vote? Um, Good question. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so I'd be very concerned about that. They're an oppressive, repressive regime. And they do not have the concern of the people who are under their care. They're not concerned about that. They are merely pawns on a chessboard to be utilized to achieve their agenda. And that, again, is the agenda of removing Israel from the face of the earth. And so there's no negotiating with them. And I think they've made that very, very clear. They don't want to negotiate. Uh, We'll have a ceasefire because we want to strengthen our our reserves and our resources here. But the truth is the agenda will never change. And unfortunately, for those people who are under that iron fist, they are suffering. And for them, I pray. In fact, I pray for all of them. I mean, the truth is God loves everyone. And he wants everyone to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. In in Ezekiel, God said, I do not delight in the death of the wicked. And so I pray for everyone. I pray for wisdom, but I pray ultimately people need to see their need for a Savior. And I am hearing that God is on the move, even in the Middle East, in Iran, uh, where they try to push out the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Lord is making himself known and there is a great move of his Holy Spirit even there. You see, the gospel cannot be contained no matter what regime is there. For those who are earnestly seeking a relationship with the God of all creation, he will make himself known and he will reveal his son Jesus Christ.
2: We're talking with Dr. Matthew Dodd. He's pastor here in the uh, Portland metro area. He's also executive director of Blessers of Israel. We'll tell you more about that when we come back from the break and how you can avail yourself of the news feed as well as the podcast that keeps you up to date on events as they unfold. Not just in terms of the headlines, but how they fit into the story uh, told to us in scripture about what we might anticipate in the days ahead. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Dr. Matthew Dodd. He is a pastor at Calvary Chapel Hillsboro and executive director of Blessers of Israel. We're talking about the uh, conflict, the war in Israel, its response, and what we might uh, expect in the days ahead. And most importantly, how the scriptures inform our response to uh, all that we're, all that we're seeing. Uh, Anti-Semitism is certainly growing. It's never been absent from us. Hitler's final solution, while Hitler and that particular movement is dead, uh, anti-Semitism seems to be growing and becoming more accepted. Was there a mitigating event that prompted this particular assault? I mean, this is one of many. Um, and, and how is this an expression of anti-Semitism? And from a biblical worldview, what, is that, what does anti-Semitism mean in terms of God's purpose and plan?
3: Well, if I were to start with the the last question first, Um, anti-Semitism has its root uh, back in Genesis 3 with the fall of man, with the fall of Adam and Eve. There God proclaimed judgment not only on the the first couple, Adam and Eve, but also on Lucifer. And he said that in Genesis 3, uh, the Messiah, the seed of woman, would crush the head of the serpent though the serpent would bruise the heel of Messiah. And so when you look progressively through Scripture you see this revelation of where this messianic line would be. And as we know from Scripture you have the line of Abraham and then from there you have Isaac versus Ishmael who is the father of the Arab nations. And then you go from there uh, into uh, Isaac and then you have uh, Judah And then you have David, 2 Samuel chapter 7. We know he's going to come from the line of David. And so here you have this messianic line. And so prior to the coming of Christ, anti-Semitism existed in the form of a satanic attack against the Jews to prevent the coming of Messiah. Now that Messiah has come, what does the enemy want to do? he wants to make God a liar by wiping out the Jews so that when Christ returns there is no nation of Israel for him to rule over in accordance to his promise in according to his promise to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. So the root of anti-semitism is satanic uh, in nature uh, to answer your question in regards to what maybe precipitated this event I mean, we can go back all the way to 1948, May 14th, mm-hmm. when Israel uh, was formed in fulfillment of the prophecy in Ezekiel 37. More recently, they're, they're highlighting what's been going on with, with the uh, Benjamin Netanyahu government. Uh, you have uh, leaders within the government who have been going uh, to the Temple Mount uh, at different times, and, and the Arabs have taken great offense at that.
2: How can we pray for Israel as we're observing at some distance and have very little opportunity to impact what's happening there? How can we pray in a way that's consistent with God's word, consistent with his will, and takes into account his great grace and mercy that is extended to all uh, that he desires to come to saving faith?
3: Great. Uh, Great question. I think, first and foremost, we do need to pray for the peace of Israel. God said those who bless Israel will be blessed. And so I pray for the Israeli leadership, I pray that that they will have wisdom and to know how to rightly protect, defend, and lead the nation of Israel. Um, I also pray for, for the salvation of souls uh, because we know that ultimately it's Jesus Christ that everyone needs. And so I pray for that as well. I pray for our country, that we understand how to stand with Israel. I pray for the church, that we understand how to... Uh, Stand and speak the truth in love about Jesus Christ to those who need to know him. Uh, But ultimately, we are faced with some very difficult times, and I also pray that we would take comfort in Jesus' words. Jesus said in in John 16, verse 33, that in this world we will have tribulation, but take comfort, I have overcome the world. And and personally, for myself, you know, Georgine, the truth is Jesus Christ is coming back. Yes. Jesus Christ is coming back for his church, and I believe this is a time where we need to have our own hearts prepared for the return of Jesus Christ. Are we in Christ? Are we right with Christ? I've had so many people come up to me and have asked me, uh, How do I know if I'm right with Christ? Sometimes it feels like it's not right, and I share with them, You know, the Bible makes it clear we're saved by faith, not by our feelings, not by our works. And and the truth is, in this life, there will be highs and there will be lows. There will be good times and difficult times. We're going through very difficult times right now. But God never changes, and He's faithful. And even when it doesn't feel like He's near, He's there. And for all who call upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. And so I've seen many, many people even now rededicating their life to Jesus Christ who have not walked as closely as they should. And so these are the things that I pray. I pray because Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know, the only way all of these problems in the world will be solved is when Messiah comes.
2: Mm, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. I want to make sure our listeners are aware of how they can connect with Blessers of Israel. That is a great uh, news source to certainly let us know what's happening. But again, through the lens of Scripture to help us understand how we as believers are to understand these events and how we can respond in a way that's honoring to God and consistent with His plans and purposes. Tell us about Blessers of Israel and how our listeners can connect.
3: Great. We uh, are a newly formed ministry, and our heart really is to inform the church about the importance of standing with Israel in the latter days. And so there are several facets to our ministry. One is a news component. We have a newsroom and there you'll find articles that we publish that take what is happening regarding Israel and the events of the Middle East and bring it in light of biblical scripture so that people have a biblical understanding of how to interpret these events in addition to that we have podcasts so that you can uh... stay up to date with the latest that we have plus we provide instruction through those podcasts going into different topics so that we can understand the backstory to the Mm -hmm. modern palestinian problem very very important uh... resource there as well we also want to stand with israel against any form of anti-semitism and so we're very strong with that and so if any anti-semitism happens here in the united states Uh, We want to weigh in on that and help speak the truth and love about the importance of standing with Israel in the latter days. And then eventually we are going to be starting a Messianic school in Israel to help equip Messianic Jews to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with their fellow Israelis.
2: I know you can subscribe, and that's a great way of, of staying on top of these events. I find it so helpful. And I don't know that I mentioned early on that I serve on the board of Blessers of Israel and and so appreciate the work that's being done. How can our listeners subscribe so that they can stay on top of these events, and when a podcast, for example, is released, they're able to see it in in uh, real time, if you will? Well, we
3: are honored that you're on the board. You're a player, a very important part of that. But to to stay up to date with all that happens here at Blessers of Israel— just visit our website, uh, blessers.org, and that's with an O-R-S, Blessers.org, O-R-S, And there you'll see all the information in regards to our website. Make sure in particular you uh, visit the newsroom because there you will see current events. We want to curate the best of news regarding Israel and the Middle East so that you can stay up to date and stay informed and know how to pray.
2: Well, Dr. Dodd, thank you so much for talking with us. I appreciate your ongoing work as Executive Director of Blessers of Israel and Associate Pastor of Calvary Chapel Hillsboro. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. Good night, Seattle, Portland. We'll be back in just a few moments.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Portland-only segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken... He's traveling to Israel, may have arrived by now in a show of solidarity. The secretary of state will travel uh, today to meet with senior Israeli leaders. U.S. State Department spokesperson uh, said yesterday in a solidarity visit following an unprecedented Hamas attack that killed more than a thousand Israelis over the weekend. It will be a message of solidarity and support, Miller said in a briefing. He, of course, wants to hear from the leaders of Israel, hear from them directly about the situation they're facing, about what they need and how we can best support them. Miller said Blinken would be arriving in Israel on Thursday. Earlier in the day, in an address to the nation, President Biden condemned the abhorrent attacks by Hamas um, and pledged support. Uh, To support Israel, more than a thousand Israelis have been killed since Saturday when Hamas launched an unprecedented surprise attack by land, sea and air in southern Israel. Among the dead, 14 Americans and others who are missing. Meanwhile, Israel's military has discovered unspeakable horrors in an Israeli community that was attacked by Hamas on Saturday, including dozens of dead babies, 40 to be more precise, some with their heads chopped off. Israeli media reported, according to local Israeli outlet I-24 News, Israeli Defense Forces soldiers, they moved into Kfar Aza, one of the community's Hamas terrorists invaded, early Saturday morning and discovered about 40 dead babies, some decapitated, highlighting the brutality of the invading forces. IDF were removing the bodies of victims found in the area when they found the children's remains. Israeli soldiers are attempting to use bones to identify the victims. They just found dozens, uh, some, well, I won't go into further detail. In other, new, in other news, Syria sends projectiles into Israel. After the Hamas terrorist attack on Israel from the Gaza Strip, the Israeli Defense Forces reported new a- attacks being launched against the uh, country from Syria in the wake of a handful of attacks launched from Lebanon against the northern cities, threatening, of course, the expansion of the conflict. The incoming fire from Syria, officially unidentified projectiles, but reported by some to be mortars, did not hit any kibbutzim or populated areas in the Golan Heights, where Israel is uh, bordered by Syria. According to posts from the IDF, the Israeli forces have already responded with counter-launches, targeting the projectile's point of origin. A number of launches from Syria aimed for uh, Israel were identified a short while ago. Part of the launches crossed into the territory and presumably fell in open areas. Meanwhile, the UN Human Rights Council holds a moment of silence for innocents in Palestine. Now, certainly there are innocents in Palestine, but simply leaping over, the Innocents in Israel, if there is one place in the world where you would expect a full-throated condemnation of terrorism, it would be in the chambers of the International Human Rights Council, right? You would, of course, be wrong to think that. We are, after all, speaking of the United Nations Human Rights Council, uh, council rather, which has um, about as much to do with defending human rights as Iranian mullahs have to do with defending the rights rights. Of uh, those with whom they disagree. Well, this sad but unsurprising fact was demonstrated once again by the uh, tweet or statement put out by the council in response to the uh, vicious, barbaric attacks on Israel over the weekend, observing a moment of silence for innocents in the Palestinian territory and elsewhere. I guess Israel is elsewhere. Uh, They can't even speak the name of the nation. The UN Human Rights Council on Monday afternoon observed a moment of silence for the loss of innocent lives. Now, one would assume that they would observe a moment of silence for the innocent lives lost in the entire conflict. Certainly there are innocents in Palestine where um, the results of Hamas aggression has left them once again uh, in the line of fire. But no, the U.N. Human Rights Council has certainly shown and confirmed It's true colors. Well, the U.S. must learn from Israel about border protection, Spencer Brown suggests. Well, the crisis unfolding along the U.S.-Mexico border is nothing new at this point, but the Hamas terrorist invasion of Israel from the Gaza Strip highlighted the national security ramifications of border security, specifically the lack of critical information the United States government has about the individuals illegally entering our country. Fox News Channel's Bill Mulligan, he reported new internal data from the U.S. Customs and Border Protection on special interest aliens defined by the Department of Homeland Security as a non-U.S. person who, based on an analysis of travel patterns, potentially poses a national security risk to the United States or its interests, who are often employing travel patterns known as um, known or evaluated to possibly have a nexus to terrorism, end quote. That is, S.I.A.S. are the kind of illegal immigrants the U.S. should be especially aware of and strict toward. Well, Border Patrol sources told Bill Mulligan they have extreme concerns about who is coming into the country because they have little to no way of vetting people from these special interest countries. Uh, I'm told, he says, unless they have committed a crime previously in the U.S. or they are on some sort of federal watch list, There are no uh, there's no way to know who they are because most of their home countries don't share data records with the U.S. So there is nothing to match a name to when the uh, BP agents run fingerprints, our own national security at risk. Well, BLM apparently publicly supports Hamas and a statement posted on Instagram on Monday. Black Lives Matters grassroots issued a statement in solidarity with the Palestinian people As Hamas carries out terrorist attacks against Israel, kidnapping, killing and injuring people in the nation, when a people have been the subject of decades of apartheid and unimagined violence, I won't address that now, but it certainly can be answered, their resistance must not be condemned. Now, first of all, I'd like to emphasize Hamas does not represent the bulk of the Palestinian people, and many of them are beginning to raise questions about the high cost of uh, that leadership. Anyway, the statement goes on. But understand, as a desperate act of self-defense, the group joins others around the country and the globe that have held protests against Israel, with many celebrating the Hamas attacks. Apparently, the 40 babies, many of whom were beheaded, is an acceptable collateral damage. In front of the Sydney Opera House on Monday night, chants of gas the Jews were heard by hundreds of protesters waving Palestinian flags. Andy No, the reporter said, a crowd of Muslim pro-Palestinian demonstrators chant gas the Jews outside the Sydney Opera House in Australia on October 9th, and Karl Markowitz says, Take a good look, liberal Jews. This is what you support. President Biden gave a speech supporting Israel. The President on Tuesday denounced Hamas and stressed U.S. support for Israel as it mourns the killing of more than a thousand people, including at least 14 Americans, from a surprise attack launched on the weekend. The president also voiced concern for Americans being held hostage by Hamas. At least 20 are uh, missing, an Iranian-backed Islamic group. This is an act of sheer evil, he said. The president spoke after his third phone call in four days with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. He outlined in his remarks the U.S. military assistance being sent to help Israel in its fight. Much of it has already arrived. Hugh Hewitt asks the question, did I miss the forceful warning to Iran and Hezbollah? Did I just not hear the word Iran? Eleven minutes to say exactly what he said Saturday. That's it. That the commander in chief, at least he didn't call for restraint on the part of Israel. Uh, count our very small blessings. Hmm. A Citizen Free Press writes that Joe Biden abruptly leaves the podium without taking questions following his first public speech on Israel days after the fighting began. Well, the Biden administration still hasn't frozen the six billion dollars to Iran, although they say they have the capacity to do so. It uh, took less than 48 hours to uncover Iran's role in the attacks on Israel, despite the White House's claim of ignorance. And while Washington fumbled around with proverbial, we can't confirm, weasel words, Iranian uh, leaders were expressing support for the brutality. Hamas terrorists confirmed they had the help and support of Tehran. Apparently, both sides admitting their involvement isn't proof enough for the administration. The White House is clearly dragging its feet and getting to the truth because the administration is aware of its responsibility. The sad truth is that Mr. Biden turned a blind eye to Iranian oil sanctions that helped Tehran rake in the cash well before he handed them that six billion dollars, which we're told they haven't cashed a single dollar of. RNC Research points out you just laid out all the ways that Iran is complicit. Is that reason enough to refreeze the six billion dollars that the U.S. helped unlock for them? Dick Sullivan says we have not yet had a dollar of that $6 billion spent, and I will leave it at that. Well, will he leave it at that? That is the larger question. By the way, they um, fund Hamas, uh, I should say Iran funds Hezbollah, Hamas. Ninety-three percent of their funding comes directly from Iran. Whether or not they were complicit in this specific event is bordering on irrelevant. The fact that they underwrite uh, the vast majority of the work they do, if you want to call terrorism work, uh, should be reason enough. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment to wrap things up.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show, where we learned that American journalist Evan Gerskovich appeared in a Russian court on Tuesday. The court upheld his detention, denying his lawyer's latest appeal to free him. Kerskovich, a reporter for the Wall Street Journal, based out of Moscow, the bureau there, is the first journalist to be charged with espionage in Russia since the end of the Cold War. I ought to tell you something. He's been detained since the 29th of March. He was taken into custody during a reporting trip. The 31-year-old was accredited by Russian Foreign Ministry to work as a journalist. He denies being a spy as do the Wall Street Journal and the US government. He doesn't work for the US government. The parent company the Wall Street Journal, Dow Jones, condemned the Russian court's decision though it is it was expected. Legal experts say it could be many months before uh, Gerskovich case is brought to trial. Russian authorities haven't publicly provided evidence to support the allegations. Under Russian law, investigators and prosecutors have wide latitude to request further extensions of pretrial detention. Espionage trials are typically conducted in secret and conviction could carry a prison sentence of 10 to 20 years. It's rare for a court to acquit a defendant. the Washington Post said it has plans to do away with more than 200 jobs as a cost-cutting measure after prognostications for online readership and subscriptions proved overly optimistic heading into 2024. In a note sent to staff on Tuesday and obtained by several media outlets, Patty Stonecipher, the chief executive officer at the Post, wrote the company has an urgent need to invest in our top growth priorities. A large pool of the Post's hundreds of employees will be offered voluntary buyouts. Stonefizer said um, with the number of acceptances capped at 240 positions, the voluntary buyouts are um, designed to avert more difficult actions such as layoffs, which he called a situation we are uh, united in trying to avoid. Well, Axios reports that the Post is on track to lose $100 million this year. According to a source familiar with the company's financial situation, after failing to bring in a profit last year, thanks to heavy invest, investments rather in new editorial positions, most notably climate and wellness. Like other major publishers, it struggles with an advertising slowdown over the past year. The company has also lost hundreds of thousands of digital subscribers since its peak of three million during the Trump era demonstrating the savagery of Hamas jihadi terrorists who suddenly attacked Israel over the weekend. In the Israeli town of Kfar Aza near the border of Gaza, Hamas attacked an Israeli kibbutzim, murdering families. Among the Israeli dead were 40 babies and young children, some of whom had been beheaded, as I-24 News reported. Uh, it was described with their... Um, hmm. I won't go into detail, but families gunned down, completely gunned down in their beds. Uh, There were so many murdered members of this kibbutz, men, women, children, hands bound, shot, executed, heads cut. It's utterly barbaric. An ex-Harvard president is sickened by his former school. Hamas is a terrorist organization, he said, not only conducting murderous attacks against Israel, but also terrorizing any Palestinians who would dare to stand against them. Yet, thanks to an abysmal understanding of the decades-long conflict, many on the American left, he writes, have fallen for the Hamas narrative of the situation. This ignorance was on display at Harvard University, where more than 30 student groups hold Israel entirely responsible for Hamas's mass murder of innocent Israeli civilians. These Harvard groups uh, sent a letter titled, Joint Statement by Harvard-Palestine Solidarity Groups on the Situation of Palestine, which condemned Israel and said the apartheid regime is the only one to blame. Former Harvard President Larry Summers said, the letter sickened him, adding, In nearly 50 years of Harvard affiliation, I have never been as disillusioned and alienated as I am today. The silence from Harvard's leadership, so far coupled with the vocal and widely reported student group's statement blaming Israel solely, has allowed Harvard to appear at best neutral toward acts of terror against the Jewish state of Israel. My understanding is there are some business leaders who are asking for the names of the members of each of those 31 groups because they want to be certain not to hire them in future. Some Human Rights Council, uh, s- the, uh, speaking of expressing neutrality towards acts of terror, the UN, well, Human Rights Council, uh, was only able to muster a moment of silence for the loss of innocent lives in the occupied Palestinian territory and elsewhere. And Uncle Joe's 20,000 emails about Hunter's business, a Freedom of Information Act request, reveal that while Joe Biden was vice president, nearly 20,000 emails were exchanged between his office, his office, not just him, his office, and Hunter Biden's investment firm, Rosemont Seneca. This revelation, in addition to thousands of previously known emails, further exposes the then vice president oft-repeated false claim that he never discussed business with his son. Republicans on the House Oversight Committee say that they have identified over $20 million in payments from foreign sources to the Bidens and their business partners. The Biden family effectively used several businesses as cutouts to funnel foreign money to family coffers. And despite the fact that the speaker's seat has been vacant for the last several days, the investigations continue at pace. Well, the NHL has banned further pride promotion. Last season, several National Hockey League players refused to don pride warm-up jerseys, citing their religious faith for refusing. Well, over the last several years, the vast majority of NHL teams have held pride nights wherein players put on specially warm, specialty warm-up jerseys with various rainbow color schemes. With an increasing number of players refusing to wear these warm-up jerseys, it began generating unwanted headlines for the league. Well, NHL brass got wise and not only banned pride-themed jerseys, but even rainbow-colored tape on players' sticks. Well, the uh, reason for the uh, the change is that the issue has become distracting for the players and the sport itself. A memo from the NHL states, players shall not be put in a position of having to demonstrate or where they may be appearing to demonstrate personal support for any special initiatives. In other words, hockey should be about hockey, nothing else. Well... Fist fights, maybe 14 Americans have been killed in Hamas attacks. According to the president, Black Lives Matter chapters have expressed their support for Hamas after the terror attacks on Israel. Pro-Palestine student organizations call for a national day of resistance backing the attacks on Israel. Tuberville reported a former CIA director, Hayden, to uh, Capitol Police over a threatening tweet. And George Santos has been charged with 10 new criminal counts in a superseding indictment. The top two positions in a women's cycling tournament is being dominated, you guessed it, by men. And Tim Ballard, who inspired the Sound of Freedom movie, is being sued by five women alleging sexual assault. And the number of illegal aliens who entered the U.S. under President Biden exceeds the population of 22 U.S. states. On this day in history, 1809, Meriwether Lewis, half of the famed Lewis and Clark expedition crew that blazed a trail through the U.S. West, is found dead in a Tennessee inn an apparent suicide just over three years after completing the journey that made him famous. 1906, the San Francisco Board of Education orders the city's Asian students segregated In a purely oriental school, as they put it, President Theodore Roosevelt would later request that that order be rescinded. 1910, Theodore Roosevelt becomes the first former U.S. president to fly in an airplane during a visit to St. Louis. 1983, the last full-fledged hand-cranked telephone system in the United States goes out of service as 440 telephone customers in Bryant Pond, Maine are switched over to the direct dial. In 1992, the first of three debates, candidates, President George Herbert Walker Bush, Arkansas Governor Bill Clinton, and businessman Ross Perot face off against each other in St. Louis. And finally, 2018, rapper Kanye West, seated across from President Trump in the Oval Office, delivers a rambling and provocative monologue that touches on subjects ranging from bringing manufacturing to the country, his personal business deals, ending stop and frisk in Chicago and the 13th Amendment. Perhaps you heard it. Well, we are out of time. I want to thank James Blend for producing, Dave King for engineering, and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Tomorrow, we'll talk with Pastor Rich Jones, again from Blessers of Israel, to put into perspective what we're seeing in Israel.
1: Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show Podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at KPDQ.com and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at four for more critical thinking for critical times on ninety three point nine KPDQ.